Good morning. Good morning, friends. Good morning, Park Church. Good morning, guests. Uh, wherever you came from this morning, whatever experiences you've had over the course of this past week, I'm so glad you're here. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, if, if you've been around in the past week or two, then you know we've been talking a lot about prayer. And hopefully not just talking about prayer, but, but as a church, we've, we've been praying. One of the ways that we've been encouraging prayer is through social media. And, and what we're doing and will be doing for the next several months is every week there will be one, one prayer. One prayer that we invite everyone in this church to join together in praying. And last week we prayed for our church, namely that we would pray. That, that our church would, that we would turn our hearts and our minds to God uh, and, that, and that we would seek Him with the depths of our hearts. Uh, this week, the invitation is to pray for your neighbors. These are, yes, literally the people who live right next to you, the people that you see when you get your mail, uh, the, people's who, the people whose dog you hear barking when you're taking a nap, uh, these are the people that we want to be praying for this week. And then after this week, you can never pray for them again. No, we, we want to always pray for our neighbors, but in particular this week, th this is what we're doing. Uh, and it's worth, it's worth just giving a brief reminder as to why in this unique season in the life of this church are we praying why, do we, why are we talking about prayer so much right now? And I'll, and, and I'll just say this. For some reason, it seems, like when you read the biblical story, for some reason, God delights in, in showing up, in, in doing his best work through the prayers of his people. He doesn't have to. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants. And yet, there's, there's something within God that gives him special pleasure to show up and to show off and to do things miraculous through the prayers of his people. And so we pray as a church family, as we seek to participate in what God is already doing all around us. Uh, another way we're talking about prayer is during our sermon series. Last week we started a new series on uh, what we often call the Lord's Prayer. This is a very simple prayer that, that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Uh, last week we began with literally just the first four words, Our Father in Heaven. And this week we moved to the body of the prayer. And this morning we'll be talking simply about the first half of this prayer. But to begin, I want to just, just briefly share about an article I read this last week. And the title of this article says it all. This is the title of the article. Seven practical tips on how to start a conversation. Right? This is some guidance, this is some advice for people who have a little bit of a difficult time knowing how do you, how do you start a conversation? With someone and I and I read this and I thought this is this is actually pretty helpful uh, so for example tip one note that you are in this together 
right? In other words, uh, the, the idea is if you acknowledge a shared experience with someone, that might soften the edge and more naturally lead to a, to a conversation. For example, if after the service today, you see someone you don't know and you're going to introduce yourself, which I know every single one of you will, right? You see someone, you can go up to them and say, man, that, that pastor just droned on and on and on today, didn't he? Am I right? You know, I, I see acknowledging a shared experience softens the edge a little bit. And there are a lot of these tips. We've got notice something nice. Just notice something else. Oh, the weather sure is nice today, isn't it? Right? Pay a compliment. You can just compliment someone. But if you do this, don't make it weird. Like, don't make it, don't, don't be like, oh, your eyebrows look really nice today. Do you tweeze? Like, don't, don't get weird about it. Just pay, pay a compliment. You can ask an opinion. You can offer help. You can look for common ground. Or you can ask for help or information. I, I thought this, this basic list of how to start a conversation with someone was apt. It's, it's helpful. And while these may be good tips for how to start a conversation with a person, I want to ask a different question this morning. How do you start a conversation with God? How, how do you even begin to start a conversation with God. Now, I think we can all agree that, that there's no one formula, there's no one way that you have to start a conversation with God. I mean, we read the Psalms, for example, a book that's full of beautiful prayers, and the psalmists begin their praise, prayers in all sorts of different ways, and, and yet when we come to this prayer, that Jesus gives us, this, this handrail to help us up the mountain. It's so interesting to me how he begins. And I, I want to suggest this morning that, that if we're listening to Jesus, he wants to teach us something in the way that he encourages us to begin praying. He wants to teach us something that has the power to literally transform our lives. And I'm not being hyperbolic if we are listening and willing to learn from Jesus this morning. Our, our text comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. It's, it's the same one we read last week, and we'll continue reading. Uh, and so I, I want to invite you all, as, as I read and pray this text, to just in your own heart, pray along with me. This is God's word for God's world. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. God's word for God's world. Would you continue in prayer with me? Father, we pause now uh, recognizing and grateful for the fact that you love us too much to let us stay the way that we are. Would you have your way in us? 
We invite the teaching ministry of your spirit here this morning, and we simply ask that you would enable our hearts to receive what you have to say. Teach us how to pray. Uh, we, we love you too, Father, and we pray in your Son's name and by your Spirit. Amen. Uh, three very simple petitions. Three simple petitions comprise the first half of this prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples to pray. And, and the first one is this. Hallowed be your name. Now, let me ask a question. Uh, has anyone here recently or maybe ever used the word hallowed? Now, be honest. Be honest. Has anyone just used the word hallowed just in casual conversation recently? Like you're ordering a coffee at, at Rook and, and hallowed just kind of slips out. Anyone? No. It's not, this is not a common household word that we use, and that's a shame because it is such a good word. It really is a good word. It means to be regarded or treated as holy or sacred. If something is hallowed, it's, it's something to be honored, something to be lifted up, something to, to have extreme value ascribed to it. And so Jesus begins by saying, hallowed be your name. Now, this is a bit of a foreign concept in our culture today. The closest thing we get to something like this is maybe with the way that we sometimes talk about celebrities. So, for, for example, uh, and I do think this is in part a regional thing in the United States, when I say the name Bruce, most of you know exactly who I'm talking about, right? I don't, and I didn't even say his last name. Who am I talking about? I just opened the door and you all just walked right through. Okay, yes. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, we, we know this, right? Uh, there are many people I have found in this, in this church and in this, in this region in the United States for whom this name, Bruce, is hallowed. It's lifted high. It's honored, right? This is the closest thing that we get to this. And, and yet here's Jesus who invites us to start a conversation with God by saying, hallowed be your name. Now, now in the ancient Hebrew culture, a person's name was not merely a, a meaningless identification label. It carried much, much more weight. When you referred to someone's name, it, it was something that, that represented the person and their character. It wasn't just a name. It was their reputation. It was who they are. And so Jesus says, pray like this. And he begins by saying, hallowed be your name. In other words, Jesus says, Father, I, I want the whole world to know who you are. May the whole world know you as you truly are. And when, when people say your name, may it, may it carry weight. Right? Jesus begins his prayer in this way, hallowed be your name. Petition number two. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now, by far, the most dominant and important theme in Jesus' life and ministry 
can be described as, in one phrase, the kingdom of God. This idea of the kingdom of God dominated Jesus' life. If, if Jesus were to have a campaign slogan, it would be, the kingdom of God is at hand. He was all about the kingdom of God. These were the first public words of his ministry that he proclaimed. Most of the stories that he told were, were ways of helping his disciples understand the nature of the kingdom. Right? Everything Jesus did was a manifestation of the kingdom, the way that he treated and related to the most vulnerable in his society, the, the fights and the arguments that he chose to engage in were a manifestation of the kingdom, the way he formed a community of people around himself. It, it, like, if we want to know what it looks like when God is king, we look at Jesus and the way that he lived and the power that came out from his mouth and his actions. Like, the kingdom of God was so important to Jesus, and it makes it into this prayer and his sermon Jesus said, there's nothing you should seek more than the kingdom of God. And so he says, your kingdom come. And, and if we really want to understand this idea of God's kingdom, we should go to the third petition because it's closely connected. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. See, God's kingdom is wherever God's good and perfect will is done perfectly. And so let me ask the question, is God's kingdom here on this world? It's kind of a trick question. Because on the one hand, of course, like God is king over all creation, including this world in which we live, of course. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look around to notice that Man, if, that, if that's the case, there sure are so many things in this world that are not the way they're supposed to be. And see, what we find, and we see this in the biblical story, is that we live in a world where there's actually another kingdom present, asserting itself in this world. And we're going to talk about this in a few weeks, a kingdom that is opposed to the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus, as hard as he prays in this prayer, is that, God, your kingdom would come and would push back the darkness that surrounds us. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And then there's this phrase at the end, on earth as it is in heaven. I think this is probably one of the most interesting phrases in, in Jesus' prayer. And, and grammatically how it works is this phrase is designed to be applied to each of the three petitions. And so we could pray the prayer like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And the reason why I think this is one of the most interesting phrases in this prayer is because in it we see that for Jesus, the great hope, the great desire of his heart was not about getting out of here and going to heaven as quickly as possible. It was about heaven coming down to earth. About God coming and having his way among us. Now, there, there are so many other things we could talk about in just these three short 
poignant peti petitions. But, but I just want to draw our attention to one insight, one thing that I believe truly has the power to transform our lives if we're listening to Jesus carefully. And it's this, that when it comes to these three petitions, did you know, did you notice that it's not about you? It's not about you. Listen, if, if you ask yourself, okay, what do each of these three petitions have in common? The answer is simple, right? It's about God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be whose name? Your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about you and it's not about me. This, curiously, is how Jesus starts his conversation with God in a way that's not about us. And I want to ask the question why. Because it's not that Jesus doesn't actually care about our needs. It's not that God doesn't care about our needs or our concerns, nor is it that we are not invited, in fact, welcomed, to bring our cares and our needs before God. We know this is the case, and we will see that next week as we continue on in this prayer. But why would Jesus start his prayer this way? See, I think it's because Jesus knows. Jesus knows that the fundamental problem of the human heart, the malady the sickness that has infected every human heart is that we have all put ourselves at the center of our universe. We have all taken God off of the throne of our hearts and put ourselves in his place. This is the sickness that has infected every human heart, so says the biblical story. And, and we see this from the very beginning of the biblical story. If you're familiar at all with the first few chapters of the first book of the Bible called Genesis, then, then what you find is the story in which this good and generous and loving creator God makes all things. He like makes this world and, and it works well and it, it functions the way it's supposed to and it's beautiful and it's glorious and right at the center of it are human beings, you and I. And he makes this world and he puts his image bears in the middle of it and he says, hey, you guys are going to have a blast. Like, you're going to like, like, this is really good, what I've done. Not to brag, but yes, to brag. Is it bragging? It's not bragging if God is saying it, right? He, he's like, this is really good. You're going to have a good time. And here's the deal. You've got a job. I want you to take care of this world because I, lo I love this world. I want you to take care of this the best that you can. You, you're its caretakers, its stewards, right? And have fun doing it. You're gonna, right, you're gonna multiply, you're gonna build, you're gonna create, you're gonna innovate, have fun in this place. But there's just one thing, just one, one tiny thing. You see that little tree right over there? Don't eat anything from that tree. You probably wouldn't even notice it if I didn't say anything. But just that one tree, do not eat that. It's not going to go well for you, okay? Trust me. Otherwise, have fun, right? And, and tragically, you know how the story goes. 
right? Adam and Eve eat the fruit. They, they, at the end of the day, wanted the fruit more than they wanted God. Their, their desires were more important than God's desires. And thus, in the story, we have introduced this problem, this sickness, this malady that has infected every human heart ever since. Because this is not just a story about what happened long ago. It's a story of the people of Israel. It's a story of each and every single one of us. And Jesus begins this prayer in such a way that reminds us, wow, okay, it's not actually about me. It's not about us. And the reality is, is when we make it about us, when we put ourselves at the center of our universe, there's a, there's a ripple effect. And relationships around us feel it. Things around us are not the way they're supposed to be. And even, even in activities, like quote-unquote religious activities, like praying, which are designed to direct our hearts and minds to God, even these can become infected and become about ourselves. I, last week I mentioned that right before this prayer, right before Jesus says, this then is how you should pray, he tells his disciples two ways not to pray. And last week we talked about one of the examples, which was the pagans. But there's another group of people whom Jesus affectionately refers to as the hypocrites. And this is what he says about them. These are the religious leaders in Jesus' day. He says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. You see, Jesus was naming the sickness in their heart. And he's saying, don't be like this. It's, it's not about them. And it's not about you. It's about something so much bigger. So much more beautiful. And this is good news. And the problem is, when I, when I put myself at the universe of my life, right? Which I, you can ask my wife, I, I, I do. Uh, when I do this, when I put myself in the center of my own universe, what ends up happening is I, I actually change my view of God. God becomes something that he's not. And he becomes one of two things when we make it about us. Either he becomes less like a heavenly father and more like a heavenly grandfather. Because you, you know the difference, right? I, I, you know, I often hear people who have recently become grandparents say this one thing over and over and over again. Being a grandparent is the best. Like, this is a common refrain that I hear over and over and over again. Like, being a grandparent is the best ever. And now that I have kids, and I'm like, wow, being a parent is hard. I can begin to see. I can begin to understand, oh, yeah, that, that would be nice to get to, like, just wind my kids up like crazy and then just be like, okay, here you go, and take off, right? A grandparent's job, really, I mean, it's like, they're, it's like a top, right? You know, they spin the top, get to have fun, and then before it like falls over and dies, they get to walk away. Like that, that sounds pretty amazing to me. Uh, some have described the grandparent's job as spoiling kids. Now, I, I would never say that comprises the totality of what it means to be a grandparent, so please hear me. But it's not that far off, you know? And so what we do, though, 
When we put ourselves in the center of our own universe is we turn God into our heavenly grandparent, someone that we expect exists simply to spoil us. And we project expectations upon him, expectations about how life should and shouldn't be going. And, and when those expectations aren't met, well, that's God's fault. And we then distance ourselves from him. But if, but if we don't turn God into like a heavenly grandparent or a heavenly grandfather, uh, then another thing that's easy to do when we put ourselves at the center is to turn God into a sort of like divine 911 operator, right? Because if I'm at the center of my world, God's there, right? He's, he's orbiting around. I'll see him occasionally, maybe on a Sunday morning. But, uh, but I'm at the center. And, and the most important thing, though, is that he's there when I need him, like when there's an emergency. That's when I call, right? We, our theology is impacted. We, we begin to think of God as like a divine 911 operator, and Jesus comes with this prayer. And he says, pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth, in Monmouth County, in your heart this morning as it is in heaven. It's not about you, and it's not about me. It's about something so much bigger. In the 16th century, uh, most common folk in, and the academic elites all shared a common belief. And it was that the earth is at the center of the universe. This was commonly believed in the 16th century that we literally were at the center of the universe. Today we refer to this as the geocentric model of the cosmos. And then this guy showed up. Anyone know his name? Galileo came a little bit later. Hey, we're going to have a history lesson here. Uh, Copernicus. Galileo was incredibly important. He's the one that kind of tied the bow on Copernicus's theory. This guy named Copernicus showed up, and, uh, and he proposed a different theory. Now, he wasn't the first one to propose a heliocentric model, right? Sun-centered model for the solar system. But he certainly was the first one to do it in a way that was robust, that was confident, that was thorough. And he put himself out there and he said, what if, what if we're not the center of the solar system? He was skewered. He was lambasted, even by, especially by, in many ways, religious leaders of the day. I mean, some of the great reformers, Martin Luther, John Calvin, they were very critical of Copernicus. And today we look back and we realize that he was actually right. And yet this idea that we are not at the center of the universe was offensive then. And if we're speaking in terms of spirituality, it's just as offensive today. Isn't it? I mean, we live in a cultural moment right now where 
one of, if not the, controlling narrative goes something like this. The most important thing for you is to discover who you truly are. That's the most important thing, to discover who you truly are. And this discovery process is paramount. And once you do, once you know who you are, then be true to yourself. Whoever it might be, whoever you've discovered yourself to be, and that, that is what will bring you joy, satisfaction, hope. And, and it's in the midst of this cultural milieu in which we live that Jesus speaks gently and yet strongly when he says, whoever finds their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You see, following Jesus is, is a process of embarking on a spiritual Copernican revolution. One in which because we have encountered the grace and forgiveness of God, one in which we then slowly learn what does it mean and what does it look like for me to continually take myself out of the center of the universe of my life and to allow God to sit on the throne of my heart. This is what it means to follow Jesus and, and this is what Jesus teaches us in this prayer. He gives us this gift of this handrail, and, and he says, this is how you might want to start a conversation with God. Hallowed be your name, not mine. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not about you. And that's not a comfortable message to hear. I certainly don't like hearing that. Because I, li I like it when things are about me. I, I speak to people uh, for a living. I'm comfortable being the center of attention, right? It's not a comfortable message to hear. And yet I'm convinced that it is so freeing. And I'm convinced that this is such good news. One, one more story. There's a massive city in China. And in this massive city, is a massive bridge. And this bridge at its highest point sits at about 200 feet above the water. And tragically, this bridge is, is not famous, but infamous. And it's infamous because this is a very, very common place for jumpers to come. For people who have come to the end of the line and, and are looking to, to end it all, and, and this is the reputation that this bridge has gotten in this city. Well, just over 15 years ago now, uh, a man was once driving down this bridge with his wife. His name was Chen Si. And as he was driving, he had heard about this bridge. He had driven on this bridge many times. But as he was driving, he saw someone standing on the edge. And something happened within him. And and so at the moment he got off the bridge, he pulled over, got out of his car, and he ran down the bridge to where this individual was standing. And he talked this man, literally talked him off the ledge. Went back to his car, took off. The next weekend, 
he found himself back at this bridge. He found another person. He talked them off the ledge. The next weekend, he came back. The next weekend, the next weekend, the next weekend. You see where this is going. For over 15 years, Chen Si has been coming to this bridge every weekend, literally saving people's lives. And in fact, he's, he's now renting a small apartment, a two-bedroom apartment, right at the end of this bridge in the city. And not only that, but he's assembled a small team of volunteers, mostly students from local universities, students who are in the psychology department, who are training to be counselors and therapists. And in this apartment, he provides space for people to come, to talk, to stay. Right? Now, now here's the deal. I have no idea if Chen Si is a follower of Jesus. It wouldn't surprise me, but I, I, I have no idea if he's a Christian. But here's what I do know, that he, and I believe most of us know this deep down, he has discovered something profound. It's not about you. It's not about you. Friends, God is writing a story of redemption in this world. He is writing a grand story of redemption and it's a story of hope. It's a story of peace. It's a story of reconciliation. It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of wholeness. And this is a story in which God invites every single one of us to play a part. He invites every single one of us to play a part in this story. We all have a longing to be a part of something bigger, don't we? Is this not part of what it means to be human? We all long to be a part of something so much bigger. The biblical story is that bigger thing. And it's a story of a God who so loves this world. He was willing to go all the way to the end. To the point of giving his own life. So that you could find your life not by embarking on some discovery journey, but by giving yourself up for him. And by seeing that his name is the one to be hallowed. His kingdom is more important than any kingdom in this world. His will is the thing that we are to seek above all else. And when we do this, there is such freedom that we experience. It's not about you and it's not about me, and that's really good news. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to end this morning with a question and a prayer. You already know the prayer that we're going to pray together, because we did it last week, we're going to do it again this week. Um, but the question is this, is there an area of your life where you have made it about you? I didn't say it was going to be a comfortable question. <laughs> is there an area in your life where maybe, just maybe, you've made it about you? It could be a relationship. It, it could be the way you think about and use your finances. 
It could be something having to do with your work. It could be even the way you relate to this church family. Could there be an area of your life where maybe you've made it about you? And if so, would, would you just hear the, the gentle, patient, gracious voice of God this morning inviting you to consider what, what might it look like to make it about me? What might it look like for you to make that about me? not about you. That's such good news. Would you stand now as we together recite the Lord's Prayer? And and I want to invite you, don't let this just be rote recitation, but, but please make this a prayer within your heart. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.